podcast promoting female musicians and artists. Today I am joined by Frances Martin. Uh, Frances has been organizing shows in Sydney for quite a while. She's currently curating an event called Volkswagen, Mm -hmm. which is uh, held at a really great venue called Cafe Lounge. She also runs Porchlight Sessions at Petersham Bowling Club. She has a wealth of knowledge of putting on events and live music in Sydney. Frances, thanks so much for joining me today. Ah, pleasure, Matthew. (laughs) I'm really looking forward to talk to you because, so I've put a few gigs on for the Women Who Rock podcast. Mm -hmm. When I do that, I sort of stand at the back and just kind of make sure that things are humming. I don't really get that much involved, but I know that you take a very different approach Mm -hmm. and you really cherish the idea of a listening audience Mm -hmm. and making sure that I guess everyone is really engaged. Yeah. Why is it so important that to create that community or that sense that everyone is really listening rather than people are just at a bar randomly? I think one of the reasons why musicians or people who are creative create in the first place um, is because they want to be heard. And I think that um, it's really important that we learn from one another. I believe that if you don't validate your audience, you do that at your own peril. Mm. Um, creating an audience means you're creating community. So uh, with Porchlight, for instance, which I do once a month with uh, the lovely Cathy Kirkpatrick, um, I do that um, at Peter Shimbolo, and we have an amazing listening audience. It can be very still. Um, obviously at Cafe Lounge, it's a bar, um, but at the same time the majority of people who come down on a Wednesday night and have done since March... 15th, 2015, or March 18th, I think, 2015. Um, They've been coming down to listen to a plethora of different forms of music, even though it's called Volkswagen. Um, We cover just about everything apart from death metal, thrash metal, um, (laughs) punk. Um, But, yeah, we cover a lot of different forms and genres. But most importantly, it's... It's a platform for musicians who are writers, who are songwriters, and they perform various instruments. Engaging your audience is so important, um, and it's important to let people know who the performers are. Mm. That's the reason why I introduce people, the reason why I thank people at the beginning. Without the bar's um, hard work uh, and the bar staff, everyone who's involved, the night doesn't come together. It has to have a a community feel, a warmth, uh, a feeling that all are welcome. I think it was really admirable to see how, just how much control you took over it. And you could see that it really means something to you, Mm. that people are there not to just chat about work in the back corner, Mm. that there's an artist, they've spent hours, they've dedicated their life to creating this art. Mm. Let's sit and appreciate it together. Yeah. Yeah. How can you tell us about the fur? Because you were organizing gigs when you were a teenager, I believe. Yeah. Can you um, tell us a bit about organizing <laughs> rock gigs in Sydney as a teenager? Um, I started uh, being involved with uh, two. Um, they were outreaches in the 70s, in the early 70s. Um, there were a lot of church based 
what were referred to as drop-in centres. People would leave houses, they would leave shop fronts uh, to churches and their young people would gather, you know, and it would be from any time after school. They'd sit down, have a coffee, grab biscuits, talk. Sometimes they got preached at, but generally speaking, it was just talking, like a place to gather um, and discuss what was happening in life. And often there would be, as part of that, people would put on gigs. And um, so um, I did a few gigs um, at a place called uh, The Room, uh, which was in Hornsby, um, and a few gigs at another place called The Attic, which was based in Epping in an old... um, It was an old... How would one describe it? It was a federation, like big old double brick house. Okay. Yeah. Was it underage events or anybody could just go? Yeah, there was... Well, there was. It was underage events, but anyone could could come. Um, it was usually, you know, a donation. You'd, you know, chuck in your pocket money or whatever. Um, yeah, and there was some amazing artists that um, performed during those days. Uh, one of the bands was Tam and Shad. Um, okay. I'm just trying to remember the other, like, bands that were playing around that time. There were so many, but then again... Um, I've presented quite a few, so sometimes it can be hard to remake, you know, remember. But those bands were also playing it, because I guess my naive impression of the like maybe late seventies and eighties uh, in Australia mm-hmm. is it was really sort of a pub rock scene, and yeah. it was sort of maybe heavy bluesy pub rock. Uh, so were those kind of bands playing at those venues as well as playing these style events? Occasionally, but you also had things like coffee shops. So um, and they were coffee shops. They weren't like joint and coffee shops okay. or alcohol and coffee shops. They were coffee shops, and um, you had a few of them around the rocks. You also had venues like um, the Push um, Soup Plus, which was a basement in um, in the city in George Street. And it had jazz. So, you know, you would see people like uh, Galapagos Duck, um, Don Burroughs, Lorraine Silk uh, and Wendy Gross, Judy Bailey. These people would be playing at lunchtime. Suits would come in. Young people would come in. You'd pay $5, you'd get a bowl of soup and bread and you'd be able to watch jazz in your lunch hour. And they'd play from, you know, midday until sort of 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Right. Yeah. At, at coffee shops? Mm. Okay. And that's really not something that we have anymore. Well, you still have places that um, don't necessarily have a licence, but the majority of coffee shops now obviously have licences as well. Um, and you see musicians turning up for um, songwriting nights, open mic nights, poetry nights. You have places like um, uh, Gertrude and Alice in Bondi junction i know that um harry hastings is involved in that and they have poetry readings there and they have um, musicians performing there and that's a bookshop so Mm. you know you also have safeo books which is in glebe but they also have a bar um so you have bookshops that are also presenting i feel as though yeah i mean i go to as many gigs as i can Mm. i feel as though there is still that essence in the city Mm. But maybe from my perspective, it seems as though it might be harder to find the one it was Much in harder. the 80s. Would you agree? Yes. I mean, there was a lot more venues. Um, part of our problem, um, unlike Melbourne, and I've forgotten the actual terminology that the Melbourne government um, made um, with the help of the rally 
to stop the closure um, of the old tote, um, where now you know developers are being made to future-proof their buildings and soundproof them, um, so that and there is also a law whereby if you move in to a venue in Melbourne and the venue is established you can't make noise complaints, nor can you put that venue out of business, unlike Sydney. Which seems common sense, right? Well, yes. Yeah. (laughs) If you're moving to a pub that has live music and then there is live music, are you really surprised? No, and I find it deeply disturbing that I believe that often it comes from a place of people going, well, my home will be worth more money if I don't have (sighs) noisy... Money ruins everything. Yes, and it's something we created. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> sure. The Knights Templar created it as a promissory note and um, it was to just stop people from um, having theft with large chests of gold and heaven knows what else while they were travelling through various countries. So they would send a promissory note forward saying, yes, you will feed and water this amount of people and we will guarantee that you will get paid for that later. I, f- I, was in, I went to a museum in Shanghai last year and mm-hmm. they had like a history of currency mm-hmm. and it blew my mind because we live in such a thin slice of history mm. that we understand what money although money is changing now it's basically all electronic but 200 or 2000 years ago a particular piece of metal mm-hmm. was currency mm. and in that time that was very important mm. and now it's in a museum mm. and it's not an fpos transfer so we don't care about it mm. and now the value is removed it seems kind of arbitrary and now we use it to ruin venues. We do. It ruins everything. And it's so shocking that, to me anyway, you know, great examples, um, you know, the old Fitzroy pub in Woolloomooloo is still standing, thank heaven, but that's because they've got such a strong community base. Um, they have theatre, they have live music there, but you look at um, some of the huge venues that we've lost in Sydney um, just due to that practice. Um, places that have been long established. You know, to me, it's like moving into Paddington after 19, December 1972 and complaining about the fact that you can't find a park on a Saturday morning because the market is there. Yeah. <laughs> you knew that, though. That information was available to you. Yes. Yeah. You, um, you post a lot of stuff about gigs. I feel as though you have a very deep understanding of what's happening in Sydney. Um, how often do you frequent live gigs are you going out like every night or most nights there have been weeks um leading up to the um, national live music awards of which um larry heath uh commenced as um and that was a couple of years ago so i'm a um, judge on that panel and for me i feel it's imperative that if i'm going to be invited and have the honor and the privilege of being part of that judging panel then it is imperative that I go out and see live acts and not just oh right there's somebody on YouTube doing a live performance I'll vote for them I think that it's imperative to get an idea of not only the artist and how they bring their their work to a room how they engage their audience how they translate from studio to live performance and there are bands that have found that challenge incredibly difficult Mm. that are extraordinary live that are so powerful live but it doesn't necessarily translate to the studio studio environment Mm. Mm. and that is the reason why on an average i'm usually out at least 
on a bad week, I'll probably be out three nights a week. Okay. On and a huge week or weeks, I can be going out seven days a week. I can go and do three gigs in one night. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> And I guess you probably know a lot of the artists as well because you're so heavily involved with promoting them and having them play mm. your shows. Yeah. And for me, it's really important that if you're going to be a part of the community, be active. Mm. And the reason why I do my postings on a daily basis, <gasps> the choice of Facebook. <laughs> um, Facebook will um, does its darndest to make it very difficult to do that. Um, I used to share events the physical events um and i used to be able to post you know up to 20 events a day uh and then i ceased to be able to do any more than three posts a day um and now um i'm usually doing at least two to three posts but generally i do one long post where i basically let people know who the band is and bands and the supports Mm. i feel that it's really important not just to say oh you know hey, this person is playing. I always try and include the supports um, and I always include the venues and the suburb in which it's it's happening okay. so that people have an idea of what's going on and mm. I do that daily. Yeah. You also did something which I don't think I've ever seen at a Sydney gig, which reminded me a lot of being in Nashville because you were collecting money for the artists. Yes. In a hat. Yes. How long have you have you been doing that for the whole time you've been doing folk, Volkswagen? Yes, okay. um, and I um, I also um, I've done it at various other events, but yeah, mainly I also was involved in a beautiful thing that was called Folk Club, which was started by um, the lovely Mel and Simon from the Falls, um, and I used to go around with a hat there as well. But yeah, a hat it's. It creates, it's not just about asking for donations for the artists. It actually creates community. Mm. When somebody puts in, whether it's five cents or it's $50 or more, depending on how badly you want the vintage hat, (sighs) um, it creates a sense of community. People feel invested in it. They, they know that, you know, that they've come along to see and support their friends or go and see and support an artist. And to have that, then translate and know that they they are forming that community by going around and collecting that and then the largest donation at the end of the night winds up with one of my vintage hats but you run the event every week i have done yes for quite some time now. How many, can i ask how many vintage hats you own uh i think when i started i had 527 okay so I you're slowly I'm, whittling it down. Yes. <laughs> if you have 527, you can mm-hmm. like give away 427 and still have 100 hats. Yes, which would then mean I'd still be able to run Volkswagen for another two years. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, there's a healthy future for Volkswagen then because yeah. you've got a good, strong supply of hats. Yeah. I also think that it must be very refreshing because... And not only, I mean, an electronic transfer of funds is very cold, mm-hmm. but also four to six weeks late often. So yeah. I guess the artists much really appreciate the, it's really the immediacy, mm. like the old days, the good old yeah. days where you actually got paid money to do things. Yeah. And it's, you know, they receive their donations at the end of the evening, um, which is really important. Uh, and if they don't, I hunt them down like small furry animals to make sure that they get paid. Okay. Because it's important, you know, that um, that there are is valued and um, when it comes to doing a hat 
like going around and collecting hats. It also means that younger artists who financially, you know, or people are really, the door is open for them. They can go in, they can have, you know, a beer or some food. And even if they can't afford to put much in the hat, the door is still open for them. They are not barred by a door like a, a door mm. price, a door entry, and they can go in and ex- experience live music, you know. And I think yeah. that live music, as we've now learnt, uh, extends our life by quite some, quite some time, oh, apparently. Exper- from a study, yes. recent study? Yes. Okay. Uh, yes, apparently if you go to one gig every week, you extend your life by two years. Uh, sorry, two weeks, which probably means that I'm going to be older than Methuselah. I mel- may well wind up being the face of Bo. You're going li- to live forever. Yeah. I also, so I mean, we're largely talking about Volkswagen. Mm. You do run multiple different events, mm. but I went to the most recent Volkswagen, mm. and it was going to be three people, but then mm-hmm. there was four people. Mm-hmm. You had a special guest, I did, to Deary, mm-hmm. and it seemed as though it was really like an opportunity to flesh out new material. Yes. Do you often have a lot of people where they coming in there? They use that as kind of a an experimental space to flesh out new new stuff. Yes. I do, and Mm. they know that it's a safe space in which to do it, and it really does take courage. And um, for Dadiri to come down, um, it was very late notice. It's happened also before with the beautiful Julia Jacqueline where she shared tracks of Crushing uh, in October, not last year, the year before. Um, I've had artists such as Bonnie Stewart recently who went out on tour with Jonah's Policewoman um, and she came came down with her band and tried out new material. Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of people come and do that that are established artists. Yeah. And they come down and test new things to see how the response is. And I think it's important for them to have a platform to be able to do that. It kind of makes me think of the I've never been to New York, and I've never been to see stand-up comedy in the US, Mm. but I feel as though that's more the approach that happens, Mm. where comedians go and they sort of flesh out the material and they're figuring things out Mm. as they're on the stage, as opposed to, I guess, the traditional way where you write a song in your bedroom, then you go to the studio, record it, and then you go on tour. Mm. But everything you're saying is so, it's all about community. It is. And the same with, you know, with Porchlight Sessions, which I do with Cathy Kirkpatrick, and that's run once a month at Petersham Bowling Club. We do it from February to November. And I've also just taken over in the round. So I've this will be my third one, which uh, is on uh, uh, June the 11th, Tuesday the 11th. And then I'll have the glorious Colin Jones. He's coming back from the States. Uh, he'll be doing um, new material that he's been working on along with... Uh, the lovely Marcus Gordon from Spooky Land, Maya Marsh, who's an extraordinary performer. She's involved with uh, Ultra Crush, Good Side, 
Um, Maya's been honing her skill for quite some time and she's an extraordinary performer. Another Women Who Rock alumnus. Yeah, and also <laughs> Sasha March, who is amazing. She moved from Adelaide and came over recently, so that's going to be an absolute corker of a night. I'm really excited about that. I don't know where that is, In the Round. It's at the Vanguard, oh, which right. is in Newtown. Okay. And the reason why it's called In the Round is because performers, rather than to be up on stage, sit on the floor and they're crossbarred. So while they're performing, they're sharing, they're looking at one another, like straight up. And they get to um, share and speak about the songs that they've written. They talk about different subjects that are important to them in life. So it's a bit like, I would describe it as being invited to go along to a dinner party and it gets to like past midnight and you've had a few wines and people are opening up and sharing like, great stories, great things that change their lives. It really is quite an amazing vehicle. So you're sitting in a circle yeah. on the ground. Yeah. You can sit During on the, the ground. During the performance? Or? Yep. or you can sit on chairs as well. Some right. people, um, depending on how packed it gets, people can wind up upstairs. But, yeah, you actually sit around. People can sit around down on the floor too. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> There's all this – see, that's the thing. There's so much – events that are happening in Sydney yeah that like this where yeah. there is that sense of community yeah it just seems as though it's further underground than it should be well that's why I try and do the postings daily to try and get yeah. out to people and my Facebook page is open so you don't even have to be a friend of mine to actually go in and go oh hang on a minute I'm in Sydney today what's going on but do you think that there are barriers caused by technology that stop people going to those kind of things? I think it can be, yes. Mm. Um, I believe that, you know, our street press is trying to do the best that they can. Thank God for our community radio stations. Well, thank the universe. Thank whomever. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, you know... <laughs> insert deity here. Yeah, Just thank them. <laughs> yeah, in, yeah in, insert whomever. Um, but, yeah, to me it's so important that we look at that process and appreciate our community-based radio stations. Um, Unfortunately, it's not necessarily unfortunate, but often our commercial radio stations are tied by um, not only the surveys that come through, but their actual demographics in which they're projected towards. And so if you are tied by that and you are tied by your advertising, then it then narrows the ability for you to be able to program a particular form of content Mm. and also I believe to a certain degree many people who are involved in commercial radio wind up being in a circumstance where they're paid an awful lot of money and they have to be very very careful and I also believe that instead of people going with their gut you know like following their gut instinct and knowing that something will work and believing in it and continuing to hone that People tend to rely very much on surveying. And safety. And safety. Yeah. And at some stage or another, you've got to, like, basically, you've got to hang your ass out in the air, you know, <laughs> and remember that it's your life at the end of the day, whether you're a creative artist, whether you're a musician, whether you're a painter, however you find your creative um, ability to be able to express you need to, at some point in time, understand that you've got to put your ass on the line and mm. just go, you know what, I believe in this. And at the end of the day, 
the most important thing is that you understand that in any given moment you're only capturing that moment you know it can be so hard when you're a musician and you're in the studio and you know you can keep working on something and working on something and you know yeah that's interesting when i really like a podcast produced by laura marling Mm. and in one of the episodes she was talking about the concept of like electronic producers making music yeah and they were discussing the idea of recording a song where you have a lot of layers of Mm. electronic vocals you know 50 layers of vocals which has its place Mm -hmm. but it's different to an idea of of you know bob dylan's first album him sitting in a room you can hear the the chair squeaking Mm -hmm. and he's kind of recording a moment in time Mm. yeah and i think there's something deeply precious about that Mm. it almost leads into so when i was at the volkswagen Mm. you had a very strong command of everything that was going on and then you gave at the end you kind of gave like an address Mm. and it was really interesting one thing you said that i thought was very interesting was that uh stillness is so important Mm -hmm. can you explain what you meant by that we are so busy we are so constantly busy we are so pounded by everything that's going on around us that even when you are walking from point a to point b people are often headphones on listening to music Mm. And in that process, they're missing things. They're missing the sound of autumn leaves crunching underneath your feet as you're walking. They're missing the sound of crows. They're missing the sound of butcher birds. They're missing the sound of wind. They're missing just being in the now. And really, that's where time is. It's only in the now. Mm. Because if you've fucked up, (laughs) is that okay to say? That's totally fine. Great. Encouraged, if anything. Excellent. So if you've fucked up, if you've made a mistake, you've already done it. You can make amends, but at the end of the day, it's happened, it's done, it's the past. You can dream huge for your future. You can creatively visualise for your future. You can meditate on it. But at the end of the day, you can't control that. And in fact, you can control very little in life Mm. beyond your behaviour. And so being in the now and surrendering to the now and surrendering to the sound of a musician as they bravely, courageously crack open their hearts and in the process, hopefully yours, is an extraordinary thing as an audience to bear witness to. Mm. And so that's the reason why I speak about stillness. And we get to see it at every uh, weekly Volkswagen. Tell me a thing where I have a list of seven topics and I ask you to tell me something about one of them. The topics are musical equipment, 
recording equipment, punk rock, Patti Smith, poetry, politics, and death. Francis, can you please tell me a thing? I'm going to go for death. Okay. <laughs> Join the approximately 60 to 70% of previous <laughs> guests. I've chosen death um, because we're all going to get there eventually. Um, yeah, if you're born, you're going to die. I, When I validate the audiences at Volkswagen, I always remind people, you are one of one. None before, none to come. You can waste your life being everything that everyone expects you to be. You can try and be somebody else. And what you do in that process is you deny every single solitary soul that's supposed to come across you in their life and experience you for who you are. So if you can't, if you can't be you for you or you're struggling with that, then try and surrender and say, hey, I've got to try and be me because otherwise I'm depriving that person, these people of that process. Death comes, you, you never know when it's going to arrive in any given moment. You know, I wake up every morning and go, woohoo, yippee, <laughs> I'm alive. This is a really good start to the day. Um, it's something that we don't speak about much in society. Um, we tend to run from it rather than confront it. I believe that it's it's. I'm pretty much of the Keith Richards attitude, which is, you know, it sits just behind the shoulder there. And um, I try and utilise that in the way that I treat people. I am a wanderist. I believe in kindness. I believe in being gentle. I believe in being tender with people. I believe in acknowledging the way how people are feeling in any given moment. Because I, and I always tell people that I love them, because I never assume that I'm going to have that opportunity necessarily to say that again. Hmm. I think it's interesting the idea of society not, you said something like society not really dealing with mm. death. It's kind of been removed. It has. It's been removed and sanitized, whereas in so many other cultures, it's rejoiced there is a period of grieving of mourning we talk about the ways that we deal with grief and yet the way how i see death is that it's a place that it's it'll be the it'll be the most difficult place that you'll ever have to visit grief is without a doubt the most difficult place and no two people grieve the same some people will get out and basically fuck like rabbits. It's normal. This is how we wound up with the baby boom. After, you know, a war, lots of death, everybody just bonks like crazy. Um, other people will just insulate. But everybody does their grieving and deals with death in their own way. Mm. I don't believe that there's any right or wrong way to do it except to say that I believe that in our Western culture we do not deal with it well. Um, I believe that that we could deal with it so much better and I believe that we can be more supportive of people by openly discussing things, you know. 
often people say to me, how are you doing today? And I go, great, not dead yet. Every day above ground is a good one. <laughs> you know, it's literally, yeah. it's, it's a gift. Life is a gift. I feel as though I could talk to you for another one to two hours. Great. But I should probably, I'll come back. I should, <laughs> maybe we'll have to do version two mm. at a later date. But Francis, thank you so much for coming to 2SER and being on Women Who Rock. Um, it's been my privilege and pleasure, Matthew. Um, thank you very much for asking me. Not a problem. And um, yeah, just like to say that I love your work. I greatly appreciate what you're trying to do. Thank you. And um, there needs to be more of it. And we need to be more supportive of one another. Yeah. And I just consider it to be a privilege to have been asked. It's been great to have you. 